Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting either side of the breach. Today, we have the story of a child who does not live Breachside. Nevertheless, he visits Malifaux every night. For in Malifaux, the line between dreaming and waking is thin, and the line between play and pitched battle is thinner still. Make-believe is a mighty force, and those who know how to harness that force are powerful indeed. I hope you enjoy the Moonlight Gallery, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Figaro's Toy Shop. Come to Figaro's or Merchant Street for the city's finest selection of teddy bears, dolls, marionettes and collectible figurines. Figaro's is pleased to announce that they have rebuilt the store after last month's rampage. Gallery by Matthew Farrer. He thought he had probably lost the Guild Bastards when he left the trail above Holton's Hearth, but he couldn't be sure, and that made for some tough decisions. Sticking to the roads was out, suicide. If the posse didn't get him, he was sure the Guild posts would have been warned to look for a man with heavy saddlebags that looked like they held oh maybe a couple of reams of highly illegal subversive rag sheet instead of legitimate travel supplies, for example. Wit and care might get him past one, luck past another, but sooner or later he'd be stopped and searched. So no. The high trails are more dangerous. Few to no guild up there. Probably, Edmund reminded himself. But if he did run into them, they would be tougher, better armed, more vigilant. But there were marked trails, at least, and he had a pretty good idea of which ones he needed to follow. Hell, he might even run into some sympathizers up there. It was the note that had decided him. He had stopped at the cheapest of the inns at the hearth, under his usual assumed name. And there had been a note in the dead drop. Not in a hand he recognized, but who else would know to put anything there? If the guild were onto him, he'd already be stumbling back to Malifaux City in leg irons. He had read it under the lamp hanging in the corner of the inn's penny-a-night communal bedroom, a chill creeping up his spine. Then read it again. Then he popped it into his mouth, chewed it into paste, gone out back to the outhouse, and spat it into the privy. Guild on watch for you, 
Two guards and posse. Half dozen, maybe. With one hunter. He hadn't gone back inside. From the outhouse to the stables and the hell away from Holton's hearth. Later, once it was too late to turn back, he had wondered if he should have stayed, run a couple of hands of cards, joined in the filthy songs by the fire, left at first light. Maybe it was disappearing in the middle of the night, horse and all, that would attract attention. Well, too late now. For better or worse, he was off the trails. A moment later, Edmund Whitlaw went face first into a tree branch. He yelped into the mass of leaves, and it took a few seconds' struggle before he was able to shove it upwards and hunch underneath it, grabbing frantically behind him to reclaim his bowler hat before it was dragged off his head. Teach him to go wool-gathering in the thick woods in the dark. He hunched low over the pommel of the saddle, as Chester the gelding picked his resentful way through the trees. Edmund was pretty sure he wasn't lost, or at least he wouldn't be when the moons came back out. He was tired, but his nerves were taut enough to keep him awake through until dawn, and for enough of the day to get to sunset. He could approach the sympathizer homesteads from the far side of town, wash and change his clothes, get rid of the thick moustache he'd affected in town. He'd stash his copies of The Voice of Truth with his hosts, ready for furtive distribution through the mountain towns, and things would be fine. Give Chester a day to rest up, and he could be heading back to Malifaux just about when the next edition was due to come off the presses. But the hunter... That bothered him. Writing about the guild's thefts and lies for the illegal rag sheets made guild attention an occupational hazard. Smuggling them out to truth-hungry readers in the outlying towns meant sleeping cheap and rough and risking the posses. But a hunter? He'd never heard of one of those being used against rag sheet runners before. He supposed it was a compliment if the guild sent one of their so expensive and so deadly he couldn't help adding machines out this far into the wilds to track him. But now he thought of it slipping through the woods on his trail, hearing Chester's hoofs, seeing his back, accelerating to a hunting lope. Edmund snapped around in the saddle, clutching for his revolver. But there was no furious trap-jawed construct bearing down on him out of the primal night. He blew out a breath, cursed his flightliness, and faced forward again just in time to get collected by another branch. After that, he dismounted and led the little bay horse through the woods on foot. That might well have saved him from a broken neck half an hour later when Chester shied, reared, and leapt bodily backwards rather than enter the clearing. Too exhausted and exasperated even to swear now, Edmund kept his grip on the reins, grimly trying to stay beyond the range of an errant lashing forehoof until the horse quieted down. He could see Chester's flanks quivering, his nostrils flaring, eyes rolling in fear. Nothing up there, boy. Nothing there, my son. Nothing to worry about in there. Whatever's to worry about is coming up behind us, he thought sourly. After another minute, he left Chester to catch his breath and walked into the clearing on his own, just as the moons came out overhead. It was a natural break in the woods, a loose diamond shape around a fast-running little creek that rustled and babbled between fringes of long overhanging grass. The natural break had been expanded by hand, Edmund saw. The uphill edges were lined with stumps, 
and craters where stumps had been pulled. The little cottage at the uphill point of the diamond barely deserved the term anymore. It was a couple of eroded stone walls, the dark square of a window embedded in one, and a mess scattered inside their angle that must have once been roof beams and shingles. Who knew how long this place had been abandoned? Maybe it was even from the first settlement, before the breach closed and returned. Although Edmund had heard some strange stories about how time had passed, or not, between those two events. Stories about what the first scouts through the new breach had found. Things that had turned into stories that guild secrecy contracts and the dishonesty of the Malifaux record couldn't keep secret. Edmund enjoyed righteous indignation as much as the next backstreet agitator, but he let it go this time. Those thoughts came with uncomfortable company. Thoughts about what lurked in this place other than the humans. Things that moved up here in the wilderness that made a guild posse look like a warm hug. Right on cue, the little boy shot up over the house wall and shouted, Boo! Edmund didn't scream. He tried. But the best he could manage was a strangled, Nah! as he skidded on the damp ground and went down hard on his ass. His hand clutched out for where he thought the revolver should be, but just came back with a fistful of grass. The gun was slung on Chester's saddle. You were scared, the kid declared triumphantly. All Edmund could see of him was a pale, cherubic face and a shock of tussled blonde hair, as if he'd just sat up in bed after a restless night. Two delicate little hands rested on top of the tumble-down walls in front of him. Edmund gulped for a moment until his heart agreed to slide back down his throat and settle in his ribs again, and then he pushed himself to his feet. He could already feel sour adrenaline sweat collecting under his arms and on his palms. He looked around. I didn't think anybody was here, he said. Who else is up here with you? The boy shrugged. You can't be all the way out here on your own. You must have come here from the contract towns up in the mountains. Another shrug. Edmund took a couple of steps closer. If the kid was from a contract town, he was some mayor's son or something. The hair was tussled, but it was clean and well kept. And there was no trace of work grime on his hands, nor of bad nutrition on his face and teeth. My name's Edmund, he said. What's yours? That's no concern of yours, said the boy, jabbing a finger with each word. Edmund guessed he was imitating an adult he'd heard. The kid kept his scowl for a moment longer before he started giggling. Are there any grown-ups with you here? Edmund asked. Or were you such a brave boy that you're out in the woods all by yourself? I don't know if I like the woods, the kid told him. I think they're boring. They can be dangerous. Edmund found his hand was itching for his revolver. He was better at running than fighting. But something was wrong as hell here, and he wanted its weight in his hand. Bad people can come up here sometimes, running away from the towns and hiding out, like robbers, and there are animals, and there are never born. He felt himself tense. He was sure that story about the Neverborn being drawn to anyone who said the word out loud was just that, a stupid story. But who really knew? And who knew whether he was talking to one right now? What's a Nevborn? The boy stumbled a little on the syllables, as though he hadn't heard them before. 
Edmund stared at him for a moment, trying to understand the question. How long have you been in Malifaux? The boy shrugged again. And how did you even get here? Nurse puts me to bed at 8pm precisely, the kid said, as though that answered the question. Nursery bell rings at 7.45pm. We say goodnight to Mother and Aunt Lillian at 7.50 in the reading room, and say goodnight to Father and get his blessing at 7.55pm at the door to the library. The sing-song recital finished and the boy looked around. Where are all the people? Most nights there are people. What sort of people? This was insane. Edmund needed to be on his way. But how could anyone who fancied himself a decent man just ride off and leave a child in a trackless wood? And how could anyone who fancied himself a reporter just up and run without finding out what the hell was going on? Everyone knew that all bets were off in the wild country. Anything could happen to you out here. And in Malifaux, anything meant literally goddamned anything. There was a reason why it was Edmund's job to ride the new printings up to the highland towns. There were precious few others who were willing to come up this way on their own. What if the kid was never born? Edmund stared at him. What if he weren't? The boy came wandering around the wall into the clearing, still looking around him. We play games, he said solemnly, every night. And it's more fun than the stupid old games that little children want to play. It's like a big toy shop with toys. He spread his arms out wide. All out to here. Not the toys that belong to the nursery that children like. Edmund had a momentary chill at that piping voice talking about children like that, until he remembered his nieces and nephews back home. He'd really heard more withering contempt than when a six-year-old told a five-year-old that he was just a child. It didn't mean this child was... not. All the same, he still wanted his gun. He backed away from the kid towards the gap in the trees he'd come in through. Where are you going? The kid was staring after him, but he didn't seem particularly concerned to see Edmund leaving. You're sneaking away. A gentleman should excuse himself. You're supposed to learn that when you're still little like me. Well then, said Edmund. He was sweating again. That wrong feeling was stronger than ever. He doffed his hat. May I excuse myself, young sir, while I check on my horse? Do you have a horse? We can play fox hunt or steeplechase. You can ride your horse and I'll get Lord Chompy Bits to be my horse. The boy clapped his hands. Teddy can call start and all the little ones can cheer when we win. Lord Chompy Bits. Good grief. Edmund's nerves settled a little, and a little more when he found Chester still waiting for him, wary but not panicking, back in the trees. He got the gun into his belt and settled some more. He could still stand a bit more settling, he thought, and reached for the little flask of Bayou Gold tucked discreetly in the top of one of the bags. That's a lot of bags, came the piping voice right behind him. Edmund jumped again and slapped the saddlebag flap down. The boy had followed him, and was standing framed between two big gnarled trees at the clearing's edge. 
The double moonlight lit up the outline of his golden hair and white nightshirt. Nightshirt? Something in Edmund's brain picked up on that and started to worry at it. But his face was in shadow. What's in the bags, Mr. Edmund? Edmund looked back at Chester. He was tense and shifting from hoof to hoof again. And then at the saddlebags. He was sure he'd closed them. He hadn't even unbuckled the far one. But now they were both open. And he could see reams of folder paper in them clearly. The moonlight just got a lot brighter, he said half aloud. How did that happen through the trees? I don't like the dark much, said the boy, as though that explained it. What's in the bags? What's in the bags? Edmund closed the flaps and buckled them, then walked over to the boy in an exaggerated tiptoe, one finger on his lips. You have to keep a secret, he said, and the boy's expression lit up. Kids loved secrets. They're special secret papers that only a few people are allowed to read. They tell the truth about what happens in Malifaux, but there are bad people who don't want anyone to know about what's happening, so I have to give them out very quietly. Can you be my special deputy and keep my secret for me? I give you my word as a gentleman, the boy said, so precisely and seriously that Edmund wanted to laugh. And then he said, I want to see. I'm the special deputy. Want to see. Well, Edmund began, but then the boy had a copy of the Voice of Truth in his hand. It's all words and no pictures, the kid scolded. I want another one. He threw the paper to the ground and then he was holding a second one. It's the same. He threw that away too. Now they all came out, fluttering past Edmund and spreading themselves in the air. They're all the same. I don't care about your stupid old secrets. They don't have any pictures and they're boring. Well, Edmund said again and stopped. Come on, he told himself. Think. There's a right thing to say that will get you out of this. Find it. You should have brought toys or books to read to me. These are things like Governor shows me. I don't care about these. New sheets swirled around them like birds mobbing around a roost. Well, if you don't want my papers... Edmund shot a look over his shoulder and saw Chester still in his spot, alarmed by it all but not ready to bolt yet, thank heavens. The saddlebags hung empty. All the papers were around him in the air. If you don't want my papers, then I shall take them away so they don't bore you any more. Would you be a good fellow and fold them up for me, please? I'm sure I don't want to bore little boys who don't like my papers. The kid gave him a sidelong look. I've thought of a better thing to do. Paper is for drawing pictures. I shall draw pictures. He gave a delighted intake of breath. I know, or have a glowery. He caught himself. A gallery. Father and governess took me when we went to the city. It was winter and there was all snow. We went around all the pictures, but they didn't move. Not like the pictures I can dream. But now I'm going to have my own gallery. I shall do the pictures and you can be my clerk. Father has a clerk. You have to do what I tell you. And Teddy can be the man at the front who takes the tickets. 
And Lord Chompy Bits can be the man who makes sure nobody spoils the paintings. The boy cheered. It's going to be the most famous gallery in the world. Edmund gaped at the clearing. The sheets of his newspapers had flown out and arranged themselves in rows in the air, some of them on their own, some of them assembling themselves into bigger and bigger squares and rectangles. They were hanging at cavernous distances apart, at least ten feet in the air. Of course, he thought dazedly. He's recreating a gallery from a child's eye. Everything's too big and too high, and his memory is distorting it even more. He watched the little figure running gleefully between the hanging papers, whose edges were starting to boast shadowy little traceries that resembled ornate frames, his mind whirling. A big house with a drawing room, nursery, library, a nurse and a governess, visits to the gallery, lots of toys and books as well as lessons. Malifaux wasn't a big place. Any family with those sorts of means Edmund would know about, knowing things like that was part of his job. He couldn't think of any that fit the boy's stories, let alone who had a son whose description fit the kid himself. And Malifaux didn't have a dedicated gallery. This one's going to be of a steamship, and this one shall be a castle and its king, and this one shall be hunting hounds, and this is cavalry at the charge. And the boy spoke well, too an accent that was almost familiar from Edmund's days before he came through the breach. Never mind that business about all bets being off in Malifaux. The explanation that was forming in Edmund's mind was too bizarre even for... And then he saw the pictures. A steamship, the kid had said. And here it was. A rusted hulk whose smokestacks glowed like the furnaces of hell, plowing through a blood-red sea with a screaming man chained to its prow as a figurehead. It was him. The castle was a terrifying mass of ruined spikes and gibbets, and its king was a grinning ghoul with a pile of charnel for a throne, giving the gesture for a bestial headsman to decapitate the cowering man kneeling before it. Edmund again. The hunting hounds were pursuing a terrified Edmund through hedges of evil dagger-like thorns in which half a dozen other corpses were trapped. The cavalry at the charge were misshapen things riding red-eyed demon horses, bearing down on an Edmund who had dropped his rifle and was begging on his knees to surrender. Every hanging sheet of newsprint bore a similar picture, or was manifesting one. As Edmund looked at the one nearest to him, the rows of letters dissolved away, swirled into greyness and then back into vivid colour. A locomotive! And there it was, some nightmarish barbed parody of one, blasting along a railroad through horrific wasteland. The scrawny, hunched figure of the engineer could just be made out in the red-orange light spilling from the door of the firebox, in which Edmund was thrashing as he burned alive. The boy came running back, arms wide, grinning with delight. Was it him? Was he dreaming up death after death for Edmund on these pictures? Or did he not realize what he was doing, what he was seeing when he looked at those papers? Not what met his own eyes, Edmund suspected. We shall invite everybody important, the boy exclaimed, even governess. I can't make her like the pictures I do when I'm awake, but we'll invite her here, and when she comes, I can make her like them then. I'm sure you can. She'll be very proud of you. Oh, 
The boy seemed weirdly put out at that idea. Are you sure she won't be frightened? When I tell people what happens in my dreams sometimes, they are very scared. The children I tell about my dreams don't like them either. Silly children, Edmund managed through a dry mouth. Yes, silly. Not like here in our gallery. You and me and Lord Chompybits are going to go around and look at all the paintings now. Lord Chompybits, come down. You can't be in the glowery ceiling. You have to be down here. There was a crashing from somewhere above and behind Edmund. He turned, peering into the shadowy forest canopy, wishing the moonlight were brighter still. Something was clambering toward them through the tree branches, shouldering aside leaves, splintering smaller limbs under its weight. Edmund could hear trunks as thick as his own body creaking under the weight of it. It was watching him. He didn't need to see it. He could feel its attention. It fixed him to the floor of the clearing as though his boots had been staked to the ground. Lord Chompybits dropped out of the trees and into the ruins of the cottage. It took a couple of paces forward, moving on all fours in a hunched-like gait like a great gorilla. Its shoulders brushed one of the still-standing stone walls and knocked it down. Its face came out of the shadows. It looked at Edmund and grinned. Edmund whirled, gun forgotten, thought scrubbed clean but for the need to get away. He managed three, four clumsy steps before his foot hit a hummock and he stumbled to his knees. Hoy there! The boy's voice was indignant, not angry. You can't leave! You're working for my gal... gallery! You're not allowed to leave! Teddy! Stupid boy, Edmund thought crazily. No one calls me that. Teddy's short for Edward, not Edmund. Shows how much. Then he realized the boy hadn't been talking to him. Edmund froze, staring up at the giant waddling thing like a child's stuffed toy bear seen through an absinthe haze. Its fur shone in the moonlight like a wild animal pelt, but lines of heavy stitching ran across its torso and around the blunt tubes of its arms and legs. Rotten-looking stuffing leaked out of the seams. Its two wide eyes glared in the moonlight like glass buttons, buttons the span of Edmund's hand. And its teeth. Its teeth. Father says leaving one's post is for curs and foreigners, said the little boy primly behind him. Lord Chompybits never leaves his post, and Teddy doesn't either. And the little ones always do what I say. People need to do what I say. Edmund backed away from the bear thing, trying to keep balance on legs that felt like they'd turned to wood. He didn't want to fall. He could feel the revolver still jammed into his belt, but didn't bother reaching for it. It was a contraband Tyrolese militia gun, squat and powerful, but now it felt like a toy. Worse, an annoyance. Edmund heard giggling from around him. Which way to face? Which did he want at his back? The bear or that thing that had come out of the trees? But then he realized there were more creatures in the clearing now. Little flitting shadow shapes, like rough charcoal sketches of men and women, snakes with human faces, harpies, spiders. Old black scribbles of form against the moonlight, but for the red tinge that shone through the crude shapes of their eyes and mouths. The little ones are here to see the pictures, 
the boy told him importantly. So we all have to stay and be helpers. You have to stay until I say so. He folded his arms and gave Edmund a smug look. Edmund stared at him, then looked at the great shape crouched over the wrecked cottage. It lifted a forelimb and wagged a finger at him reprovingly. He turned and looked at Teddy. He was still simply standing in his way, reeking of mildew and wet animal fur and grinning. From behind Teddy came the sound of Chester stamping and whinnying, and while Edmund was still trying to process that, there was a heavy pneumatic thud, a brief whistling sound over the top of an odd metallic jingling, and suddenly Teddy's grin was gone as it stared in bafflement at the foot of shining steel harpoon that jutted from its chest. Later, when he thought back to tonight in his cups, Edmund would remember the contrast of that smooth metal barb catching the moonlight and the texture of the matted fur and stuffing all around it. Teddy! squealed the boy from behind him as the harpoon chain snapped taut. Teddy was yanked backward, stumbling a pace or two before it could regain its balance and dig in. It half turned and roared, and the roar was a human roar. A man's deep voice shouting, Rah! Of course it was, Edmund realized. It was a bear's roar imagined by a sheltered child who'd only ever heard other people impersonating bears. And then there were more voices in the clearing still. Guild authority, all of you. Nobody bat an eyelid. Nobody leave. Guild authority. Edmund Whitlore, alias Birmingham Jack, alias CBG Blunt Esquire, you are hereby. No, shouted the boy. But there was still nothing more than petulance in his voice. Nobody's allowed in the gallery if they're rough and naughty. You're interrupting. Lord Chompy Bits, Teddy. Hereby under summary arrest on charge and subject of... Stop jabbering, you idiot, and shoot. Bloody Nora, what is that? Edmund threw himself flat as the guild guard's fusillade split the air of the clearing. He could hear the rounds whipping overhead, and a moment later a shout of outrage from the boy as some of them punched holes in the pictures. The dark shapes were swarming forward through the moonlight. It was impossible to tell whether bullets were hurting them or even hitting them. As the humans fanned out and the shadows moved to meet them, the heavy reports of guild guns kept sounding with military regularity. The lighter, faster shots from the posse volunteers grew more erratic and started to be mixed in with cries of alarm. Teddy was snarling and batting at the hunter. The giant metal construct with its panther's body and hound's head had dug its claws in and was lunging from side to side, trying to wrench the monster off balance and create an opening for a leap. Teddy was having none of it, planting its feet wide apart like a little kingdom wrestler and trying to drag the hunter closer in. Its mitten-like hands, which looked like cloth one moment fur the next, had sprouted snaggled, hooked claws. Edmund got up on all fours, then yelped and ducked down again, as two of the little dream shadows, one a trotting grotesquerie like an oversized doll, and the other a leaping, long-legged spider, bore down on him. But they ignored him, passed over him. The doll thing trod on him, and the feeling was like being scorched and frozen at once, and ran toward the posse. A round from a guildsman's collier forty-five passed through the spider. It rippled in the air, and gave a shriek that felt like glass, scraping down Edmund's nerves. Then the loose line of gunmen was advancing, the gunfire faltering a little as they straggled forward over the bumpy, tussocky ground, and as the little flitting shapes reached them. 
They reached Edmund without seeming to remember he was even there. And the moment he realized that, he was up again, sprinting for the edge of the clearing. His foot turned on a hummock and toppled him over. But he scrabbled gracelessly to his feet and plowed forward into the trees. Fetching up hard against a thick, rough-bark trunk, he peered around behind him. The gallery papers still hung in the air, although now they were sagging in place or flapping like flags in the wind. The gun line had dissolved. Guardsmen slashing at the dream shadows with sabers, the posse members desperately brawling with punch daggers or gun butts. The hunter and Teddy were tangled together by the harpoon chain, grappling in a rolling, clawing, snarling ball. And in the middle of the clearing, the little boy in the white nightshirt had forgotten his bad temper and was whooping, clapping, and capering as if this were a circus put on for his personal amusement. Edmund scowled in the dark. There was no as-if about it. Here, you. You gotta get out and into the fight, came a voice at his shoulder. Edmund wheeled around, the gun coming free from his belt. He stared at the scrawny young man in the grey duster, holding a double handful of lead ropes and reins, including Chester's. The moonlight was still unnaturally bright, and it only took a second for him to recognize Edmund. Well, wait, you can't! The voice became a squeak as Edmund pointed the revolver in his face, and the boy squeezed his eyes shut. Edmund hesitated for five seconds and then grunted. Wasn't his night to be a murderer. He swung the gun round and into the young man's temple, grabbed Chester's reins from a limp hand, and was in the saddle a moment later. Chester didn't need any encouragement. Edmund hunched grimly forward and lay along the side of the gelding's neck as they fled away through the forest, praying the horse didn't repeat his own trick and twist a foot in the uneven ground. The last thing he heard from the clearing before it was all lost behind him was a little boy's voice carrying further and clearer than it had any right to. Lord Chompybits! Charge! And the sound of four monstrous limbs pounding the ground as the beast launched itself forward. Edmund had lost all his papers, but he had one hell of a story to tell in exchange. He could see the masthead now. Strange affairs in the Malifaux woods. Our reporter discovers a strange boy, Dreamer. By your correspondent, Birmingham Jack. Fight, you bastards, fight! Edmund shouted back over his shoulder. And as Chester carried him on through the forest, he realized he was grinning from ear to ear. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. I hope you enjoyed today's story and that you'll join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.